0: The more wonderful something is, the more passion it will arouse. Bitcoin is among the greatest wonders of the late modern world. So Greg Foss is understandably very passionate about it. So passionate, in fact, that he dropped 11 F-bombs in 31 seconds out of concern for its future. And he's Canadian. Why is such a stalwart Bitcoin proponent so concerned? Because two guys in cheap wizard costumes did a cringy Fortnite dance? Surely the stakes must be higher. According to some, there is a battle underway for the future and soul of Bitcoin. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we've got a really fun read today. This one actually just dropped yesterday by Roy Scheinfeld, um, which I've read. I read his stuff all the time. If you haven't been keeping up, um, Roy uh, Roy Scheinfeld is the CEO founder of Breeze and Breeze Technology and the Breeze Wallet which has always been a favorite of mine and they have uh he's always had such a great perspective and has done such a good job of kind of pioneering the the way to think about lightning and running the lightning infrastructure and where it is likely going to be placed in the future and in you know monetary and financial reality uh, as we go into the future Um, and uh he uh also, they coined the term LSP, Lightning Service Provider, which became a not only the dominant like infrastructure model, um, a business model for lightning, but also the common term. Like that's that's how people I mean, literally people set up LSPs, which is really cool. Uh, that foresight of being able to tell ahead of time where it seemed obvious lightning was going Um I, like I just always valued his writing and opinions, and I think they're doing really awesome stuff over there. So, um, that's a that's a shill for Roy. I have a link in the show notes uh, if you want to read the blog. Uh, check out the wallet. Check out the SDK. I have some links to previous things that we've covered. Uh, the stuff that they're doing with the Breeze SDK is really really exciting, and their partnership with Greenlight. But this particular article, I did not know. If I wanted to get back into this, I kind of felt like I said my piece on the whole ordinals, inscriptions mess. And uh, and I still kind of stand by my conclusion that it's kind of just a wait to price itself out situation. But he had a couple of really good points in this one. And I read it and it's fun. And I made a bit of a stink about it the other day. Like, I was trying to make, make the argument about why it's not censorship. It's not a censorship issue to be talking about whether or not you should be able to stick jpegs into a Bitcoin transaction um, and uh, and I wanted to reiterate that but also reiterate that it's it, despite my annoyance with it it still just is not that big of a deal um, but I really like I don't want to get ahead of it too much I really like the way Roy lays it out so we're going to hand it over to him real quick let's hit our sponsor and then we will jump into this article a quick thank you to Fold and do not forget that they have a wonderful opportunity right now 100,000 sats for signing up and uh, depositing twenty dollars and spending twenty dollars with the Fold debit card, you get a hundred thousand Sats, which right now is like literally like twenty-five to thirty bucks. So they're paying you for your first purchase in Bitcoin. This is good until the end of June. So use my uh, my link, BitcoinAudible.com/fold, to check it out. And then when you get those Sats, you need to keep it on the safest, most secure, most CypheRpunk hardware wallet and/or CypheRpunk calculator, the Cold Card. Or one of the many, many devices, I actually just had a uh, uh, set up a wallet just a little while ago on the phone and I still just love that I can just I yank my tap signer right out of my wallet and I just scan. I just scan and I've signed the key and I've got a new, I got a new wallet. It's just cool. The NFC on the cold card tap signer, you have to just use it to understand. And you get 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible and it's right there in the show notes. With that, let's get in to today's article. And it's titled, Bitcoin is Unbreakable, Much Ado About Ordinals, Inscriptions, and BRC20 by Roy Scheinfeld. The more wonderful something is, the more passion it will arouse. Bitcoin is among the greatest wonders of the late modern world, so Greg Foss is understandably very passionate about it. So passionate, in fact that he dropped 11 F-bombs in 31 seconds out of concern for its future, and he's Canadian. Why is such a stalwart Bitcoin proponent so concerned? Because two guys in cheap wizard costumes did a cringy Fortnite dance? Surely the stakes must be higher. According to some, there is a battle underway for the future and soul of Bitcoin. According to others, we've just gained a fun, nerdy, and innocuous way to play with Bitcoin that makes it even funner and nerdier though no less revolutionary. Ordinals, inscriptions, and BRC20 are the bones of contention. Ordinals allow individual sats to be identified. Inscriptions allow objects like text, images, and data files to be written onto them. And BRC20 allows second-order tokens to be minted directly onto them, like an Ethereum light. In effect, they introduce storage as a new use case for the Bitcoin blockchain, in addition to its existing and principal use as a ledger for currency transactions. These features are affecting block sizes, transaction fees, and validation times, so they're not inconsequential. The bone of contention is what they mean for Bitcoin's future. Are they pathological, like a tumor? Do they offer a competitive advantage, like chlorophyll and claws? Or are they just harmless and benign, like male nipples, or that little dangly thing at the top of your throat? Ordinal ABCs. Scratch that. One, two, threes. Of the recent developments in Bitcoin, ordinals came first. Casey Rotimer, the guy who, quote, invented ordinals this time around, sought to devise, quote, stable identifiers that may be used by Bitcoin applications. In other words, he wanted to index sats by giving each one a serial number that would survive across time and UTXOs. Of course, giving each SAT a unique identifier means that they are no longer perfectly fungible because they are no longer strictly identical when applying the ordinal convention. Just like the LCC system for books in research libraries or URLs for web pages. ordinals make each SAT unique and retrievable. Identifiability affects fungibility without eliminating it. Inscriptions are the second controversial development in the world of Bitcoin. The Ordinal Theory Handbook gives a marvelously succinct definition of inscriptions, helpfully relating them to ordinals. Quote, Inscriptions inscribe sats with arbitrary content, creating Bitcoin-native digital artifacts, more commonly known as NFTs. These inscribed sats can then be transferred using Bitcoin transactions, sent to Bitcoin addresses, and held in Bitcoin UTXOs. These transactions... Addresses and UTXOs are normal Bitcoin transactions addresses and UTXOs in all respects, with the exception that in order to send individual sats, transactions must control the order and value of inputs and outputs according to ordinal theory. Of course, Bitcoiners are far too sophisticated to get suckered into all of that bored ape nonsense. If we were to copyright cartoons on our blockchain, we'd do wizards instead of apes. I mean, apes, come on. Whatever. Think of inscriptions like blockchain tattoos. Some people are going to love them, others are going to disdain them. The world and the witness data of a transaction is big enough for both. The third recent development in Bitcoin is the BRC20 protocol, which lets people mint and distribute tokens according to predefined parameters. These tokens are written as inscriptions onto SATs marked with ordinals, which brings us full circle. These three features allow users to create digital artifacts and NFTs and to use the Bitcoin blockchain to distribute and trade them. So, how's it going? Not surprisingly, some people are attracted to particular numbers, like 1, 7, or 69, four twenty. So, some SATs are coveted because ordinals have made them, quote, rare. Although, if you think about it, each ordinal number is unique, so each one is exactly as rare as the others. There's also a market for BRC20 tokens, many of which are just second-order Bitcoin. For example, the dollar sign $OG$ dollar sign token and the pizza token both have a supply of 21 million, just like Bitcoin, and have market caps of around $10 million. The upshot is that, one, sats are now uniquely identifiable according to a new convention. Two. People can add data to sats. And 3. Token minting algorithms are a kind of inscription data so people can mint tokens on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's important to note that while ordinals, inscriptions, and BRC20 are recent developments in how Bitcoin works and how we use it, they're not really innovations because they're not really new. Something like ordinals were proposed under the name BitDNS back in 2010. Using op-return to store strings of data in UTXOs goes back nearly a decade, and minting second-order, quote, tokens on an underlying blockchain is basically the idea behind Ethereum, which isn't really new. Hat tip to Giacomo Zucco, who took a deep dive in the presentation he gave in Prague. Plus ça change. What this means for Bitcoin. Transaction fees. Ordinals, inscriptions, and BRC20 tokens are, of course, controversial. Though some love them, as the transaction fees of recent months attest, others are bemused or annoyed. Even the guy who invented BRC20 has said, These will be worthless. Please do not waste money mass minting. Okay, but worthless isn't a synonym for evil. Some people think tattoos and Big Macs are worthless. Other people love them. So what's the big deal? Opposition to Bitcoin's new features stems from the suppositions that one ordinals and inscriptions make Bitcoin less like money, and two, they make transactions more expensive. Let's deal with the last point first. Thanks in part to ordinals, the number of transactions in the mempool has increased by about two orders of magnitude, and the data in the backlog has increased about 150x. The effects are ambivalent. On the one hand, more data per transaction increases the storage and computing burdens for node operators, for which they receive no compensation. Not great. On the other hand, more data to compute means higher fees for miners. In fact, the average on-chain transaction fee reached $30.91 a few weeks ago. High on-chain transaction fees are not evil. In fact, high fees are a good thing. They incentivize miners which attracts miners and spurs them to invest, which keeps the hash rate high and makes Bitcoin more secure. That's about as evil as a St. Bernard carrying a cask of brandy. When you encounter such evil, scratch its belly. Moreover, high on-chain fees merely reinforce the different use cases of on-chain Bitcoin and Lightning. On-chain payments have arguably never been well-suited to quick microtransactions, because they treat small and large transactions pretty much the same. By contrast, Lightning fees are proportional to the transaction amount. If you're paying 2x or 3x or 10x the price of your beer or pizza in transaction fees for an on-chain payment, when you could be paying a thousandth on Lightning, you're doing it wrong. If on-chain fees are inhibiting you from paying with Bitcoin, then you should probably take advantage of Lightning's proportional fees. If Lightning's fees are inhibiting you from paying with Bitcoin, then you should probably take advantage of the one size fits all on chain fees. What this means for Bitcoin Moneyness As for whether Bitcoin is still money in a world of ordinals, there are a couple of ways to answer that question. First, we could comb through various definitions of what money is, come up with the ultimate list of criteria, and use it to evaluate the Bitcoin white paper and all subsequent protocols. Aristotle would be proud, but the answer would be unnecessarily theoretical and abstract. Alternatively, we could actually observe what people are doing out there in the world. However sensible this new use case is, people like inscriptions and are willing to pay for them. Whom are they paying? Miners. How are they paying? Transaction fees. What are miners doing with the transaction fees? Reinvesting some to cover the costs of mining more Bitcoin. Where does that Bitcoin go? From the miners out into the world where it circulates. And there we have it. Payment and circulation. People pay miners, miners pay people, they're using Bitcoin, ergo Bitcoin is money. We've found the essence of currency without a dictionary. Sorry, Aristotle in other words bitcoin is still money but the bitcoin blockchain can also be used for storage note the boolean operator money and storage not money or storage indeed adding new sensible use cases might be a prerequisite for any currency from this point forward the question is merely what counts as quote sensible but time and the market will tell good bad or benign So let us return to the original question. Are ordinals, inscriptions, and BRC20 good or bad for Bitcoin? Or are they just a new feature of the world that we will adapt to without much consequence? Well, these functions weren't at the top of my personal list of priorities. I can't say that taproot wizards or ordinal tokens are really making the world a better place. But I don't fear these developments either. They raise fees, and higher fees have beneficial side effects for the blockchain. What's good for Bitcoin is good for the world, whether it's intentional or not. And they reinforce the case for Lightning as a low-fee means to use Bitcoin as money for smallish, everyday purchases and transfers. Generally, what's good for Lightning is good for Bitcoin, which is good for the world. Wizard gifts and subsidiary tokens can't really do much harm. So I'm just going to stay cool, stack sats, and continue making lightning as good as it can be. And that concludes uh, the piece by Roy Scheinfeld, Bitcoin is Unbreakable, Much Ado About Ordinals, Inscriptions, and BRC20. Let's take a minute and hit our sponsor, and then we will jump back in. Do you have Bitcoin on a risky centralized exchange? Don't leave your Bitcoin to rot in IOUs or empty promises from centralized third parties. Keep your Bitcoin fresh with the coldest of cold storage, the cold card. When you know you own your keys and you've got your Bitcoin behind the cold card, they can be stored indefinitely without ever losing that fresh, sovereign taste. Ah. That incredible flavor. 50% sovereignty, 50% cypherpunk, and 100% fuck your central bank. Exit your money from the system, own your Bitcoin, hold your keys, and break open a cypherpunk calculator. Bitcoin only, air-gapped by default, accessible by micro SD, USB, wireless NFC, or as a virtual disc. It has fast and easy backup and recovery, a duress pin and a brick me pin. Unlimited memory so there's no transaction too big for your cold card to sign. You can sign the largest multi-sig imaginable or even sign your bullshit inscriptions. All this while keeping your keys ice cold. Enjoy the fresh taste of freedom and open up a cold card today nine percent off with code bitcoin audible limited one discount per order not available on mars ships from canada which is pretty cool eh so so i wasn't sure if i wanted to bring this topic up again but uh like i said at the beginning uh i thought this was a really great article when i read it uh yesterday and um i thought it really kind of put things into perspective and also hit one of the most important points that Like even particularly because I have uh, had a couple of different interviews and a couple of different like Twitter posts and things where I have specifically come out against or I've made a bit of a big deal out of it when my conclusion, I still believe my conclusion in the pooping in the park episode. Um, It's easy to just get wrapped up in what I consider the negatives and make it seem like I, I think it's more important than it actually is. And Roy also does a good job of making it clear that the fees aren't the problem, which I hope I properly articulated in my more direct episodes about this topic uh, previously. Um, And, you know, I mean, that's that was the whole point of the analogy of pooping in the park. I think it's and I think it's also not so simple that I, I still would push back a little bit in Roy's perspective on the fact that it is money and storage and that I genuinely think the Bitcoin, Bitcoin, the money and Bitcoin, the monetary base is more important or is necessarily is objectively at a lower level than the idea of storage as a utility and that if the storage, storage utility um, compromises or, or has any negative effect on the monetary purpose or the monetary robustness and security and validation costs of the base network. Then and if obviously there is a clear and simple way to mitigate it or remove it, then that is that should be thought of as an important engineering goal as a as a proper reaction to the issue. And the a tweet that I made recently um where I was trying to articulate this point was I was saying that it, you know, like TCP/IP isn't made so that you can cram a whole bunch of arbitrary data, like an image, into a into a connection handshake. Like the whole point of TCP/IP is to be able to transmit. After establishing a connection, you you send it in packets, right? Um, and the the header of the packet is explicitly is very strictly defined and limited so that it can properly and efficiently transmit packets now imagine if i could sit i could put like some tiny little piece of code in it that would send computers into a loop trying to see what's going on in the data and i could send a malicious packet that had a in the tcpip header like in the the handshake or the connection details uh whatever wherever it is in the tcpip uh protocol I could insert some information that just caused a computer to just crash or to just have to do some infinite computation that endlessly came back to zero and started over um, uh, because I have put this into the TCP IP protocol. It's important that that sort of information is invalid, that this is not a way to use TCP IP so that TCP IP can transmit data because that's its purpose. And the same thing with... uh, a signature like ECDSA you're making a signature whatever it's not it's not made so that you can stick in a bunch of arbitrary information the signature is just the signature it's just what's necessary to serve its purpose and to confirm the existence of the key and what i hoped to make clear what i was trying to explain in that tweet was the framing or the analogy that this isn't about censorship Because the information doesn't have to have anything to do with Bitcoin as money. It literally is using Bitcoin transactions as a storage device, which a monetary transaction is not in the same way that a a TCP IP handshake is not a program. It's not it's not a, a way to distribute apps. It is not something that you want other computers having to do arbitrary computation on. In order to establish a handshake, you you just want it, or to establish a connection, you just want it to do the absolute bare minimum, extremely strict set of rules to quickly and efficiently establish a connection so that you can get on with all of the things you want to do on the internet. If these protocols, if these signatures, if all, all of these different systems were not designed to strictly only do the thing that they do... Well then the system itself, the protocol, gets bogged down, becomes clunky for the purpose that it's actually meant for, because somebody found some trick, or workarounds, or large, you, I, I still think it's almost fair to call it an exploit of putting something completely arbitrary into the information that bogs down the purpose of establishing a connection, or uh, checking a signature, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what is funny, and I think is really important to continue reiterating, is that the idea of high fees is really what kind of pissed a lot of people off, is that, you know, fees went $10, $20, $30, and people were pissed that it was costing a fortune to send Bitcoin around, and then to find it's literally because people are sticking stupid images and NFT, just just straight garbage into the chain, and of course just paying enormous fees and bloating the entire mempool and everything, literally using the blockchain, literally using the Bitcoin time chain as a storage drive instead of a monetary network. I can see why. I mean, it's annoying. It's annoying, but the fees inevitably have to get there. So it's not really anything. I would just much rather it be that it's being used as money when the fees got there, because then we know it's, it's a relative use case that or it's a it's actual demand for the utility for the purpose of bitcoin by which this data is being processed but i think the best the most sober and simple way to put it was a quote from this article it says the effects are ambivalent on the one hand more data per transaction increases the storage and computing burdens for node operators for which they receive no compensation not great end quote that's it that's it that's the negative it's not got anything to do with fees it's not even that ordinals affect the fungibility because if you don't care about ordinals it doesn't it's it literally you could just as easily say this address is cool um because you know it's got it's got a word at the beginning of it like you can generate a hash at the beginning with a word at the beginning of it and you can you know, say it's more valuable and people could literally want it more than an address that has nothing interesting in it. It's just a bunch of random hash, right? But that is not a fundamental effect of fungibility. And Bitcoin has no recognition of any of this. This is part of the reason why I specifically call it garbage. And that if you are using Bitcoin as a canonical history, as a time stamping server, then what you should be doing is stamping a hash of whatever it is that you're trying to to validate or to confirm its existence prior to anything else which is exactly why taproot assets I think is the ultimate solution to this and I hope that just in the long run um the it just it literally just prices itself out because who the hell is really going to who's going to pay $30 to get some pizza token when you can do the same. You can have the same dumb, just imp, the vapid tokens of whatever the hell you want on something like Taproot assets, and it costs a hundred thousandth of a penny because you know somebody's issuing a hundred thousand transactions in uh, in a single Taproot hash. I mean, the degree, the comparable efficiency of getting the exact same meaningless token uh, is—I mean, just it's not. You really just can't compare it. It's just silly. So again, it likely prices itself out. And despite my annoyance with it and the fact that I do think of it as shoving garbage into the time chain, it is not an existential crisis. And this is why like a number of people have said, oh, we could do a soft fork for this, this. And I still, I just don't even think that should be on the table. If we're talking about any sort of a fork, forks are dangerous. Forks are difficult. Getting consensus on forks is a whopping pain in the ass. Trying to do that over this issue is giving it way, way more credit than it deserves. But there is reason to be annoyed, in my opinion. There is reason to consider the, the negative effects on nodes, however small it may be, and I think it's entirely fair to always paint it in a negative social light. I think it's roughly on the order of someone being a leech. Just, they never do anything positive. They're not good stewards of the resources that other people make available to them. And they tend to waste it on frivolous or stupid things. I think that's fair. And that's still my stance on it. But I will say there was one tiny element of excitement. It's when those fees got that high. I definitely ran downstairs and I cut on my miners Because those were some really great blocks. I do not regret that. And so as a miner, I totally understand the other side of the coin. So we'll close this one out with, uh, by just repeating the conclusion of Roy Scheinfeld here. says, but I don't fear these developments either. They raise fees and higher fees have beneficial side effects for the blockchain. What's good for Bitcoin is good for the world, whether it's intentional or not. And they reinforce the case for lightning as a low-fee means to use Bitcoin as money for smallish, everyday purchases and transfers. Generally, what's good for Lightning is good for Bitcoin, which is good for the world. Wizard gifts and subsidiary tokens can't really do much harm, so I'm just going to stay cool, stack sats, and continue making Lightning as good as it can be. Amen. that's a great way. It's a great way to conclude it. Shout-out to Roy. Um... And uh, Breeze and everything that they're doing, I'm still waiting with bated breath for their uh, their new green light, their re- redo of the Breeze wallet, so I can make that one of my main wallets again. Now, just so you know, nothing happened to the Breeze wallet. Breeze wallet still works fine, but I know they're moving to their own SDK and with the green, green light node, the Blockstream green light node as the back end, but where you're still holding your keys, and it's just really exciting, and I want to see that uh that setup or that design in action and how clean and fast it is in comparison to the way breeze behaves as a full-on uh neutrino light client that does its own routing etc cetera, etc cetera. because breeze has been a main wallet of mine for a long time and i've mostly switched over to phoenix because i just wanted to clear it all out clear it all out so i had a fresh run as soon as the um, thing dropped so now i'm kind of like missing it it's been like two months since i've used breeze so roy get it get it done man get it done Impatience, I push on to you. But anyway, uh, stay humble and stack sats, everybody. Take a deep breath; it's not that big a deal. I'm annoyed. I get it, but it's not that big a deal. So with that, thank you for listening. Thank you for checking out Fold. And uh, I'm if you want a hundred thousand sats, I don't I don't know why you wouldn't want a hundred thousand sats. But if you want it, you should go to my link, bitcoinaudible.com/fold, and definitely check that out. And then if you get 100,000 sats, anytime you get sats, when you stack it, you're going to put that shit on your cold card because that's how you own your keys. You have your Bitcoin safe. Please, as a listener of the show, please own your keys. This is my only request of you. And you can get 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible at BitcoinAudible.com slash cold card. Both the links will be available in the show notes. And I love you all. And I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, everybody, Take it easy, guys. It is unwise to be too sure of one's own wisdom. It is healthy to be reminded that the strongest might weaken and the wisest might err. Mahatma Gandhi.